0: Oh, simpletons. We're here with uh, Jordan Unknown. Oh, wait, Jordan No More. Oh, my Danny goodness. Unknown. <laughs> they... Podcast Sean, Malabama. Yes. Ryan Nicodemus. That's right.
1: And Joshua Fields, Milburn. Yes, indeed. We also up, have, y'all?
0: We have Jessica here and Emma here, both in spirit. In spirit, yes. They're haunting us. <laughs> <laughs> Shout they... out to our whole team. Uh, thanks to them, we're able to create these outstanding podcasts for you, especially these outstanding Maximal episodes. Ryan, I want to talk to you about year-round spring cleaning today. Yeah, I am looking forward to talking about that and the origins of spring cleaning. We did have... So, uh, patrons, if you're in the live stream right now, I know we... We've got some folks in the live chat. Ask your questions or comments in the live stream. We'll get to some of those. And in fact, we had one about the origins of spring cleaning. Who asked that question? That was from Raquel. Okay, Raquel is asking, what are the origins of spring cleaning? And we'll talk about that before we get to our more about less segment, Ryan. All right. So this is from the most trusted news source. The Minimalists. (laughs) (laughs) Wikipedia. (laughs) Oh, right. The infallible Wikipedia. Mm -hmm. Just don't look at our Wikipedia page. Um, All right. So spring cleaning is the practice of thoroughly cleaning a house in the springtime. The practice of spring cleaning is especially prevalent in climates with cold winters. In many cultures, annual cleaning occurs at the end of the year, which may be in spring or winter, depending on the calendar. The term is also used metaphorically for any kind of heavy-duty cleaning or organizing enterprise. A person who gets their affairs in order before an audit or inspection could be said to be doing some spring cleaning. Mm. Now, there's a history here, and we'll talk about that in a moment, but I found an irony in this, Ryan. You know when you go to Wikipedia, and there's like a little warning at the top of an article, and it it said something about, this article could use some cleanup. Oh, that's good. That's good. (laughs) (laughs) It's a double entendre. I love the trolls. Yeah. Here's the history. Some researchers trace the origin of spring cleaning to the Iranian or Iranian... Now, Ruts, now Ruz, the Persian, which is the Persian New Year, okay, uh, which falls on the first day of spring. Iran, uh, Iranians continue the practice, uh which li- they literally call it, translated to shaking the house. Oh, wow, I like that. That's good. Instead of spring cleaning, because spring cleaning has a particular connotation, as mm. we talked about there in the intro of this article. Oh, you have to do it in the spring, you can only do it once a year, but. You can shake the house whenever. Yeah. In fact, Bex and I shake the house every evening. We call it setting the stage. Inappropriate. <laughs> 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 oh, no. And by the way, we've given a microphone over to Jordan and Sean. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, Malabama has a microphone because mm-hmm. she has the most beautiful voice. But Danny's not ready yet. Well, well Danny's not much. ready for the microphone yet. <laughs> He'll show us up. That's the problem. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs>
1: Danny, come over here. Take the mic.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, um, every evening, Ryan, Yes. we do what I got this from my friend Drew. uh, We call it setting the stage. Mm -hmm. But every night we like tidy up the couch. Mm -hmm. Any blankets that might be out. If Ella was like wrapped in a blanket on the couch, laying on a pillow or Bex. For whatever reason, they love just being wrapped in blankets on the couch. I can't stand it. I don't want blankets touching me. Yeah, it's a girl Um, thing.
1: (laughs) <laughs> Mariah loves the same thing I can't stand it
0: either uh, Danny's saying he's he's on board with it as well I,
1: let's not turn this into a sexist comment okay I'm just joking
0: <laughs> anyway the empirical evidence in my house is, is 66% of the people enjoy being with blankets Yeah, uh, but also any toys that may be left out we, we make sure Ella sets the stage as well so like, mm. if she has any boxes or bins or things that have been dumped out any toys that she left out they all go back to whatever their appropriate places. Everything has a place. Any trash that might be laying out, bottles, recycling, any dishes. We don't ever leave dirty dishes in the sink overnight. Also, the fridge. Quite often, there'll be things that like, oh, I need to store this in the fridge or hey, are there any leftovers that we need to throw out right now because Mm. they've been haunting our fridge for too long? Mm. Now, I'm not talking about, we did a whole episode about expired items. So I'm not saying every night we go in and check to see the expired labels, but I'll peek in the fridge real quick. Oh yeah, you know what? those beets have been in there for two weeks and
2: Mm. they're
1: kind of green now. (laughs) We should probably get rid of those. I've been eating this horseradish. And Uh, like just yesterday, I looked at the thing and it expired like 90 days ago. Gosh. (laughs) Oh, it still tastes good. I'm not sick. I thought you were going to say 98. (laughs) (laughs) No, not not that that long ago.
0: When Danny was two. Oh, dude, no. But that is...
1: (laughs) Yeah, right? But my grandma, when I was helping her move, her food pantry, like had stuff like that expired like before the millennia (laughs) in the 90s. I'm like, I'm like, Oma, Danny was two years old (laughs) when this thing expired.
0: (laughs) What else do we do? Um, Oh, the kitchen counters. Mm. You know, I always talk about the flat surfaces. Mm -hmm. Avoid putting things on flat surfaces unless it's temporary. Like I've got this glass of water on this flat surface, but when we leave here, there's nothing that goes on the flat surface. Mm-hmm. So anything that's a flat surface in our kitchen, living room, so the coffee tables, we have a credenza, mm-hmm. uh, also known as a sideboard. <laughs> and um a- anything with a flat surface, we clear off. And so that's setting the stage. Because why do we set the stage? Because the next day when you wake up, you don't want to be burdened by, oh crap, I have to do these three things, these seven things, yeah. these 15 things real quick. At the end of the night, if I do it, it's easy. And you're setting yourself up for the next day so that it's a seamless transition into the day. Any remote controls, any books that might be laying out? Because Bex and I like to read it together in the evenings. We'll Mm. sit on the couch together or I'll go sit in my chair and read. But we don't leave a book on the floor, a coffee table. It goes back on The bookshelf, Mm. magazines, any clothes that might, oh, I left my socks over there or whatever. Mm. I don't do this, but someone else in our household does. (laughs) And we pick those up, put them in the hamper before we go to bed. And occasionally, if there's anything that needs to be vacuumed or dusted, that's when we do it at night. Just do it really quick. takes about... 30 seconds, 45 seconds, Mm. a minute to vacuum those areas that might be heavy traffic areas, Mm. and then we're done. Within 10 minutes or so, 15 minutes max, but usually 5 or 10 minutes, we've set the stage, and it makes the mornings so much more calm. Mm. So I love the idea of shaking the house another possibility has been suggested that the origins of spring cleaning date back to the ancient jewish practice of thoroughly cleansing the home anticipate in anticipation of the springtime festival of passover mm. right. and so there are other potential origins for spring cleaning these date back thousands of years but what are we really talking about here We're talking about shaking the house or setting the stage about introducing calm in the chaos that we create, because Mm. it's easy to create chaos. Mm. But it's also if you stay on top of it, instead of waiting to once a year spring clean, I'm shaking the house. I'm spring cleaning every night in a way. And so there's a year round spring cleaning that's going on. You can do it in five minute, five minute intervals. So it's not taking you five hours or five days mm. to go through the spring cleaning.
1: Yeah. I dig it. We'll put a kind of link to
0: this in the, in the show notes if you want to take a look at it. That's crazy that
1: spring clean. it goes back to the Passover. Isn't it funny how like all these different, like whether it's a holiday or these traditions, it all links back to some sort of like uh, religious landmark. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. And these
0: traditions become traditions for a reason, yeah. right? It's not, and so I'm not a fan of tradition just for the sake of having a tradition. I think quite often we start to do things out of tradition and then we lose the why. On the middle of the episode Ryan this week you talked about finding the why so the what and the how can take care of itself. Yes. However, if we don't know that why, then we might just start doing these whats and hows mm-hmm. without a why. Mm. And we we develop these routines that stop serving us. We develop these traditions that stop serving us. Mm. The shaking the house every night serves me. Because the next morning, if I want to get up and write, there's nothing else to do. Mm. There's nothing that's in the way. It's clutter-free. It's calm. It's clear. It's quiet. It's mm. tranquil. Mm. That's the environment that I want to set up. And you can literally do that every night without having to wait to once a month or something else now there are a few things that i do once a month ryan Hmm. i have a a calendar entry you you have access to my calendar so Mm -hmm. you probably see this we're recording this on the last day of the month but the first day is tomorrow And so in my calendar there are a few things i do i swap out my toothbrush Mm. the first day of each month Mm. every month now i didn't used to do that but my dentist was like yeah that those things really build up extra bacteria and Mm -hmm. so once a month I would swap out my toothbrush. I'm like, really? Once a month? I was doing it like every six months. I'd go to the dentist and they'd hand me a, a toothbrush. And, wow. Um, and so
1: once, once a, a month. month yeah. And like it gets expensive with the, uh, the, 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 replaceable electric toothbrush heads Mm -hmm. (laughs) those things are like 15 bucks a piece anyway
0: yeah but what would be more expensive is like some sort of bacterial infection in my mouth that absolutely ruins my month Mm -hmm. or my life yeah and so i do that once a month where i swap out the toothbrush also the air filter and i wouldn't do this every month either except we're in la and it gets dirty every month oh wow and so the air filter now i'll i'll check it and at least on the first and Usually I can go about two months, sometimes three or four months without replacing the air filter, Mm -hmm. but I check it on the first of every month. I don't need to do that every single day, but I just have this reminder in my calendar, oh, I'm going to do this Mm -hmm. at uh, at the beginning of the month, on the first day of the month, to set up the rest of the month for success. A few other things that I do. Every, the first of the month, I fill up all my soap dispensers, even if they're just half full or whatever else. So tomorrow, I'll just go around. We have two bathrooms, so I'll fill up two soap dispensers, and the soap dispenser in the kitchen, I'll fill that up. Yeah, Even if it's half full, quarter full, whatever. Even if it's just an inch, I'll go fill it up to the top. It's just like a, a ritual that I do every single month. I uh, also, every six months, replace the... Um, water filter, the reverse osmosis water filter in Mm -hmm. the house Mm -hmm. to make sure that our water remains pure. And then once a month I also charge our safe that we have Mm -hmm. in the house. Mm -hmm. Um so it's a a rechargeable safe that we Mm -hmm. use. It's a has a a key code. Because that'd be like the worst time you you really need to get into (laughs) safe and now you have to like struggle to find the key. Yeah, or whatever. Saying, there's got
1: to be a backup key, right?
0: There is a backup key, yeah. but like right. Right, if you're keeping something there you need immediate access to mm-hmm. to protect yourself, yeah. Well, then, yeah, I'm going to be SOL if, if I'm not charging it right. And so that's just my trigger. Every month yeah. I, I do these, these simple things toothbrush, soap dispensers, air filter, charge the safe, replace the water filters every six months, and you're good to go. Mm hmm. I like to know if anyone else has any other rituals. There's something you do once a month or once a week or every day. Let us know in the Patreon comments. I'd I like to, to hear those tips because cosmetically, I think a lot of those tips can help. Well, what am I forgetting right mm-hmm. now? And um, I, I think that that might be helpful for some folks to check those comments. Now, Ryan, let's talk some more about less. Do it. We've got an article here as a jump off point. This is from our friend Joshua Becker, who's going to be on our podcast, I believe, next month. All right. He has a new book coming out called things that matter. And this article is from his popular website, which is called Becoming Minimalist. 100 things I'd say to my 18-year-old self about minimalism. Now, we'll put a link to this in the show notes if you want to read the whole article. I'm just going to pick around here, and we'll we'll use these to talk about it. Number one, don't be in such a hurry to furnish your home. Hmm. That's a, I think that that's the perfect thing, and and Danny's nodding nodding over here because he just moved into a a tiny house, a tiny apartment, and um, <laughs> his mom calls it a cracker box. He said <laughs> it's a small apartment. He and Amy they they moved into this small apartment, right? And what do we we feel compelled? I need to what complete this space. Mm. And so I have to get the couch and the coffee table and I have to get the dining room table and I need the credenza and I need the coffee table. I need the sitting chair. I need the chairs for the dining room table. I need a bed. I need two end tables. Mm. I need a, another bed for the second bedroom that we don't use. I need to fill the closet with just the right hangers. And then I need to go into the kitchen and buy the rice cooker and the bread maker and the Instapot and the air fryer. I need all of these things to complete my space. Mm. Now, of course, Ryan, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. Everything I just mentioned, in fact, I've owned at some point in time. Yeah. If I don't own now. And I've gotten value from, I think, just about all of those things. Yeah. But instead of, I need to complete the space, maybe sitting without those things for a moment. I remember when we went on tour in 2014 for 10 months straight. Mm. And then I came home. We were the minimalists. And we owned next to nothing at yeah. that time. I
1: mean, like, thinking of our living room, we had nothing in our living room.
0: Literally nothing. Yeah. And at one point, I think we had two chairs in it. like yeah. Just plastic chairs right. that we bought at a uh, second-hand store. Mm-hmm. And that's all we had in there. There was nothing. In... But then we got home, and I, I remembered, like, oh, I don't need... There were like 17 things we owned, and I'm like, I didn't even remember needing these while I was on the road, so I don't need them now. And so going without those things for a while indicated that, oh, maybe I don't need those things. The opposite was also true, Ryan. Mm. We got home. We had stayed at a lot of Airbnbs or a lot of fans' houses, and I missed having a couch. Mm. So eventually, a few years later, not immediately, but a few years later, I bought a couch. Yeah. And that couch served me well. We even have a couch here in the studio. That couch serves us well. Mm -hmm. And I I, want to be careful here because we're not saying don't fill your house with anything. Own nothing. Mm -mm. But it might be helpful to sit in that space for a moment and realize that the things you think you need
1: aren't necessarily the things that will add value to your life. Yeah. If you buy things out of compulsion then you're not doing so deliberately and you might regret it later. Where isn't it nice to like really have a need for something, recognize that need and then go and then fill the space. But yeah, you're right. We have an empty space. We have this compulsion to fill it uh, and we don't necessarily have to do that.
0: Yes. All right, I'm going to read a couple more then I'm going to reach out to you all to give me some random numbers here. Mm -hmm. Number two, I promise Starbucks isn't worth it. (laughs) <laughs> You're gonna need the money. Trust mm, me. That's good. Especially for your 18 year old self. So yeah. Stop wasting money. I remember once my debit card, I was probably 18. I it got declined at a coffee shop. I was at a mall. Oh wow. And my debit card got declined for a three dollar, you know, hot milkshake. Yeah. Wow. A cappuccino. Right. Yeah. And it was right. like it was a hot milkshake. Uh, from a coffee shop there at the Kenwood Mall in Cincinnati, Ohio. How embarrassing. I, I know. I know <laughs> and I was like, wait, I don't even have enough money to buy a coffee. Yeah. And it's because I was spending so much money recklessly on things I didn't need. Mm-hmm. It doesn't so, mean don't drink coffee. I hear uh, yeah, Jordan. I,
1: I have um, a thing that I do with my um, my savings account. I have an automatic withdrawal or into my savings account. It just says $2, uh, $2 or no. It's like like coffee a day or something like it, because coffee's like two bucks, right? Yeah. yeah. So instead of getting coffee, I just have it automatically dump into my savings account every day. It's yeah. still $2. Oh, so I'm nice. saving that money instead of spending it. Yeah. That's There's a, a, a
0: line, I think it's in Everything That Remains, where it talks, I was talking about, is this $2, is this worth $2 of my freedom? This mm. cup of coffee. Because every time you're parting, you're, you're essentially parting with these freedom coupons <laughs> every single time. Here's a little piece of freedom, because mm. I had the, I had to work for a certain number of minutes or hours in order to earn this $10, $20, $100, whatever it might be. Yeah. And so I'm parting with that freedom. And so I I dig that. Yes, yeah. Starbucks is generally not worth, I mean, it's not going to be worth it, especially if you're 18. And if you have excess money that you, and now you, you've you budgeted for, you want to go to the coffee shop on the weekend or whatever. Yeah. Great. I really enjoy coffee. Yeah. But otherwise, it is much cheaper to make it at home. Yeah. And if you want really great coffee, the minimalist stock coffee, we got uh bandit coffee over there. Yeah. If you want to make some great coffee at home. Ooh. Number three. Ryan, you and I really could have used this uh, this advice at 18 years old. Hmm. Marry someone who's on the same page as you.
1: <laughs> yes. Instead of uh marrying someone and assuming that eventually you'll get on the same page.
0: Yeah, I think the <laughs> what, what where you were and where I was is marry someone when you're young and try to drag them onto the same page as you. Yeah. Kicking um, and screaming. Mm-hmm. It oh. is.
1: It's cr- well, yeah, I got married at 18. Yeah, yes. I was 18. That's why this would have been perfect. It would have been 18. perfect. Oh my goodness. It all had to do with religion though, man. It was all about like, you know, you can't have sex outside of marriage. If you do You're not going to make it in Armageddon. God will kill you with all the rest of the fornicators. And I didn't want to die in Armageddon. (laughs) So I got married. And man, it was, I cannot tell you how many, um, uh, particularly like Jehovah's Witnesses, get married at 18 and then get divorced. Like, I bet their divorce rate, their divorce rate's probably lower than this. than the uh, statistic, than the national st- statistic. However, out of the couples that stay together, they are extremely unhappy. There are so many unhappy couples and now they now they feel stuck because they can't get divorced because of the religion, yada, yada, yada. All that to say is um yeah, that played a huge part in me getting married at 18 was all religious reasons. It reminds
0: me of this old joke i would say during cold calling i got it from someone who was cold calling back in the day so when i was doing sales and you're trying to get to know someone and so you would say
2: so are you married or are you happy
1: <laughs> yeah that's good what were we gonna say sean
2: no i was gonna say part of it i think too marrying that young i mean sometimes it works yeah but for the most part i think some of it at least for me i didn't get um diana my wife and i we didn't get together till i was 26. I think part of the reason our marriage, so uh, we've been together now uh, since uh, 1999. Wow. That's uh, awesome. Yeah, but I think part of it was my prefrontal cortex, our prefrontal cortexes were pretty much fully developed. I think that's part of what can lead to, because your are logic center yes. as humans. Um, and the other thing was uh, letting go of thinking uh, that that partner is perfect you know what I mean yeah um, I think people yeah. go in thinking uh, because this is just our culture at least in the United States right we have mm-hmm. a lot of this this uh, this romantic ideal of what a relationship is and then know and I think we've had some maybe some not seeing eye to eye on the um, marriages or, or work or relationships mm-hmm. or work yeah Um but I do think that that you have to put in the work to to make a relationship successful. Now, if you're exhausted all the time, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. But knowing that you're not going to perfectly align all the time, yeah, yeah. Take the
1: romantic relationship piece of it out of there. Relationships in general are work. Mm. It doesn't mm. matter what relationship it is, whether it's a familial relationship, a friendship, or a romantic relationship. Any relationship you have in your life is it's a little bit of work. Yeah, I don't, I don't know that I
0: completely agree with that. It'd be a whole tangent to to, to go down that road. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sean brings up uh, an important point here, and, and he's actually joined in on some conversations Bex and I have had on how to love Bex's podcast about mm-hmm. relationships. And you know, he's he's tenured in the the marriage department for sure. And the thing that I do stand behind is, yeah, we are on the same page. Right. Uh, and we've been reading, when I met her, we were at least reading from the same book, mm. so to speak. Mm-hmm. Not literally, but, but and although that's where you were trying to be with your first marriage, hey, I literally need you to read from the same book, right. so to speak. I yeah. need to convert you. Right. And so it's not about converting someone to your worldview. Mm. It, it is about finding someone who has similar values yeah. to you. Yeah. And whether or not relationships are work, I, I, I think that I think certain savants of of living have no work in their relationships whatsoever. We were talking about Ram Dass earlier, and the uh, yeah, the and,
1: and so he often talks about, but he's probably has no work at all in his life, though, not just relationships, but I think the savants don't work ever. Yeah, that
0: that could be a uh, I think that's probably a valid point. Maybe we even do a whole re- uh, relationship episode about because we're supposed to get um Aubrey Marcus in here to talk about using monogamy as a technology mm. but also he so he's tried both he he had a like really public polyamorous relationship mm-hmm. where he and his wife dated different people mm-hmm. and now he is married to a different woman and he's using monogamy as a technology so to speak mm. and so i want to talk about you know, what do we mean by it is work what do we mean by yeah uh, and cuz i will say that relationships often make us miserable. In fact, every relationship in your life yeah. will make you miserable, but and, it's not really the other person that's making you miserable. It's your expectations you have of that person.
1: Yeah, and it's not like, and we don't miser- We don't mean miserable in the sense of bad. We don't mean miserable in the sense of suffering. When we, when we say miserable, at least what I think of is <clears throat> you're going to have these moments where you have to make a decision on whether or not you want to react to this discomfort this challenge that arises within you. And you can project the anger or the frustration and you can you know, escalate the situation or you can look at that negative feeling and say, you know what? I love this person. I want to make it work. I'm not going to project this negative feeling. Mm-hmm. And that right there is like when I say work, that's what I'm talking about. There are different discomforts um, that will arise or different negative emotions that will arise. And because human beings love to react. Just look at Twitter and Facebook and all the other social media platforms. we love to react and project our uncomfortable feelings. But when you do that in a relationship, then you're escalating the situation and you're actually damaging the relationship in a lot of ways. I'm with you 100% on that. And and in fact, I would even append
0: that with saying, to me, that's when it doesn't, when you don't have to work. When really, quite often what we what we're doing here is I love what you're saying, Ryan, because it's so true. If you notice the anger, mm-hmm. but don't deploy the anger toward the other person, right? Yeah, it's uh, and yeah, it, it's it's not suppressing the anger either, no, because that's going to create what resentment, yeah, discontent, suffering, yeah. But if you see it, you say, okay, I'm angry right now. In fact, this past week when I I had to cancel a podcast that we did and we had mm-hmm. to postpone it because. I was so ill mm-hmm. from um, it was the I, Bex had given me the supplement that made me like the worst pain I'd ever been in.
1: Mm. And i been planning
0: it for months.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I,
0: I, there was a moment where I'm like, I am angry right now. I'm frustrated. Mm-hmm. And I even said that. And I said, I want you to know, though, like this has nothing to do with you. Yeah. And so right now I am angry, but I'm not angry at you. Yeah, I am
1: Anger uh, has arisen within me. Yes, I'll yeah. even
0: use those, those sort of words. So mm-hmm. I'm not, not the one who's angry. I'm not an angry person. Yeah. But I am witnessing anger
1: right now. Yeah. And I, I think I think a lot of people in that, um, you know, dramatized, romantic, that rom-com version of a relationship, you're expecting that it gets to a point where those negative emotions uh, will not arise within you. hmm and if they do, then something's wrong with the relationship. Yes. And really, it's something's wrong with you, <laughs> not the relationship. Yeah. Um. And yeah, I mean, I don't, I, again, friendship, romantic, uh, uh romantic partnership or um, familiar relationship, there's going to be negative emotions that arise with, within you. That's just, that's life. Even by yourself. I mean, think about the relationship with yourself. Even then, negative emotions are going to arise within you. You could be in the woods in the middle of nowhere mm-hmm. and still you're going to have moments of frustration. That's kind of, that's, that's the human condition. Yes. You
0: know? And one might even say more so with yourself. In yeah. fact, one might even say that they're all, you know, all conflict mm-hmm. is self-conflict. Yes. Yeah, absolutely, man. Give so me the, a number between one and a hundred, Ryan. Um, 47. All right, this is number 47 in the article 100 things I'd say to my 18-year-old self about minimalism. You said 47? hmm The $10 wallet holds money as well as the $300 wallet with an extra $290 inside.
1: <laughs> that's good. But what does the $10 wallet say about you versus <laughs> <Yeah>. the three? <laughs> it encrusts our identity. Right, yeah.
0: Yeah, no, with, uh, you know, and it's so absurd too, right? Because... I will tell you, I I talked a few weeks ago about my oldest possession was like that towel holder that spontaneously combusted on me. Yeah. That wasn't true. I realized I have one possession that's just... Only one possession is older than that. I know what it is. What? It's your razor.
2: Ooh,
1: I have two possessions then. (laughs) Dude, Josh has used the same razor to shave his face since he was like 15 years old.
0: Yeah. Wow. Yeah,
1: yeah. I think I was 16. But yeah, it, yeah. You
0: know, it roughly th- that. And although I don't use the same blades. I, no, I swap right. the blades it's out. It's the same. Yeah, and it's, it's funny. the same, same <laughs> handle. It's all crusty and like.
1: Yeah, so he's tried to like go to the different, you know, the Mach 5, the 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 whatever, the yeah. the, the vibrating head. <laughs> like he's tried them all and like just always goes back to the one uh, that he started using the 16. Anyway, all right, what's your second thing? I have a wallet that someone bought me when I
0: was 16 of it. it's a oh, checkbook wow. wallet
1: oh okay yeah so it's just for my checkbook gotcha
0: and i've had that and i'll have it probably for the rest it's high quality right i have yeah. no idea maybe they spent 300 dollars on it my guess is they probably spent closer to 10 bucks on it yeah it doesn't have logos on it mm-hmm. it doesn't say anything about me mm. it merely holds my checkbook but mm-hmm. it's also aesthetically pleasing so it's not the cheap plastic bright blue
1: one you get from <laughs> right. the bank. i uh that's funny. I just don't even. I just have my checks, like <laughs> not in anything. <laughs> it's very clear <laughs> that my checkbook is a checkbook. <laughs> mm. Anyway, uh, Sean, throw out a
0: number for me into the microphone.
2: How many? How many do you have? One hundred. Don't 100. pick one, two, or forty-seven. Oh, you know I got to go sixty-nine. <laughs> <laughs> This is the real. This is the the max. Real mature.
1: I'm safe. I love how he said it quietly too, like he wasn't on microphone. You know, I got to go with sixty (laughs)
0: nine. All right, here's uh, number sixty nine from one hundred things I'd say to my eighteen year old self about minimalism. It is possible to get through life without buying every issue of
2: Cosmopolitan magazine. (laughs)
1: Becker was a real big fan of Cosmopolitan magazine. He's a huh? Cosmo guy. And I yeah,
2: thought I going with that. 69, we were going to go with a different type of magazine.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, we can't talk about other magazines because, Ryan, I used to subscribe, and you remember because I had yeah, a s- bunch of clutter yeah. coffins in my basement mm-hmm. full of GQs. GQ details. Es- Esquire. Esquire, yeah. yeah. Those three. And it was like I was trying to complete a collection and anytime I'm holding on. to, I, so I subscribe to the only thing I subscribe to right now is the Paris review Mm. that I get a physical and it's a quarterly edition. I get, and I found myself when I had about six or seven of them like, Oh, it's like, they look nice together. The spines all go to, Yeah. But I wasn't trying to collect them. So I let them go because I had stopped reading those particular issues. I enjoy reading it when it comes in and checking the poetry or the interviews or the short stories mm-hmm. or the novella excerpts that are in the Paris Review. I enjoy those. But when I stop enjoying them, I also stop holding on to them.
1: Mm. Did you stop getting the New Yorker too? Yeah, yeah, I just the new, couldn't do it anymore. The news was not for me. I mean, they they. Oh had, yeah, I yeah. feel like the New Yorker wasn't news as much as it was commentary on current events.
0: That yeah, yeah. That that's a good point. The current events wouldn't do it for me anymore. I got gotcha. you. And you could tell at some point they knew that Donald Trump led to. More outrage that got people oh, to subscribe, and yeah. so even like they couldn't stop writing. So that's a week, it's a weekly magazine, yeah. And a, a year after Donald Trump was out of office, they're still writing about him all the time. And it's like, give it up, guys. Yeah, like he's not our president anymore, right? And I didn't, I don't even keep up with any current events right now, anyway. Mm-hmm. And, and that's not saying that you should or you shouldn't. Mm-hmm. Well, I, you
1: can certainly move through life a little bit easier, kind of. Not paying attention to certain things. And they they, they find their way to me anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know
0: as much about whatever's going on in Ukraine right now as I, I probably know more about the war that's going on in Darfur. Mm-hmm. And how come we're never talking about that? Mm. 300,000 people have died in Darfur. Mm. Have we ever mentioned that once on this podcast? Mm-hmm. No. Have you heard your favorite podcast mention Darfur mm-hmm. and 300,000 people have died there? What about the Somali Civil War where half yeah. a million people have died? Right. Right. Now, why don't we mention those things? I, there, we could come up with a dozen conspiracy theories as to why we don't talk about those things where hundreds of thousands of people are dying. Mm-hmm. And these are ongoing conflicts right yeah, now. How long have those two wars been going on? Darfur has been going on since the uh, early oddies, okay. or mid, mid-oddies probably. Yeah, smaller I mean, Civil War spikes up, uh, up and down since the
1: 90s. Yeah. I mean, that might be a piece of it is because it's kind of... Um, it's not fresh and new and it's, yeah, Yeah,
0: that's true. But, but more people will die this year in both of those conflicts, both of those wars than they will Mm -hmm. most likely. And, and it's not to say that Ukraine and what's going on there, I don't know what's going on there, but Mm -hmm. if people were dying because of a dictator, that's a horrible thing, Mm -hmm. obviously. Right. Um, it's just fascinating what we do is we latch on to whatever the media tells us to latch on to. Sure. And well, if the media yeah. was latching on to Darfur, maybe we'd care about those thousands of people that are dying this year mm.
1: in Darfur or in Somalia or in Yemen or wherever else. Yeah. I, I. Yeah. There's something to do with it too, with like how we can make an impact. Like um, this is new and fresh, so there there might be this like illusion of like somehow we can change what's going on because it's only been happening you know at this point that we're recording it less than a week um where yeah like it's you know old news and you can't do anything about it and it's been that way forever it's like um like north korea how many people died in north korea just because of that dictator you know yeah i, I don't know i yeah. don't think anyone actually knows but it's probably way yeah. more than we even suspect yeah i would bet you
0: yeah, yeah the, i mean the difference is like we're we you know we like to pretend to care about a particular thing. And that's fine to care about whatever you want to care about. But often we care about what other people are telling us to care about. Mm. And that that's the point that I'm trying to make here. We, yeah, we care about things because of I subscribe to the New Yorker. So now I care about yeah. this or I care about that because they are telling me what to care about specifically. Well,
1: yeah, it all has to do with what we're taking in. And what, you know, what we're consuming as far as entertainment or, you know, actually no news is entertainment. Yes. I mean, there is, Amen. yeah, there is, uh, I would like to say information, but we don't go to the news to be informed. We go to the news to be, uh, emotional, whether it's happy, sad, angry, whatever it is. Like, mm-hmm. that's why we go and see the news. So if we had no social media and we had no news outlets, yeah, there would be a lot fewer things that we cared about. mm Uh, Because it wouldn't be being put in front of our faces all the time, yes, indeed. Yeah, Jordan, no more. Give us a number
0: between one and a hundred.
1: Um, I'll say 30 because I am 30.
0: Uh Aha,
1: huzzah! He finally turned 30.
0: All right, here it is. Don't get busy keeping up with trends, buy what you like, but keep it simple and classy. Mm. I think. That's an important point because trendy simply means soon to be out of style. Yep. And so if you're following a trend right now, you're following something that you'll soon have to let go of. However, if you keep it simple, you keep it timeless then you don't have to worry about what is trendy. You don't have Mm. to worry about the logo. You don't have to worry about the shoes that are in. You don't have to worry about the shirt or the dress or the pants that are in style. Mm. Because James Dean or Joan Didion, they would look stylish today. You take a picture of them Mm. from whenever they were at their prime, Mm. and they would be perfectly stylish today because it's simple. Yeah, and it's classy, and it's not trying to follow what someone else has said is trendy. It's funny how
1: intellectually I know that trends will eventually wear out, but emotionally it feels like they never end. Like in LA, the uh, the 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 tie dye sweatpants and tie dye sweatshirt, uh-huh. like that was really popular when we first moved here. Yes, and I think just within the last year, like I haven't seen it as much. No, but I just remember thinking like. When is this freaking trend gonna end? <laughs> like, what is up with? And maybe I'm just because I'm not cool enough to like pull that off. What's that? When yeah, is, you you know what's timeless. Hmm. A broken watch. Oh, nice.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you ain't uh, cut moving forward. Yeah, I'm cutting the mic off anytime he picks <laughs> yeah. <fix> it up. <laughs> um.
0: Yeah, but it's true that the the trendiness that we seek mm-hmm. means we're. Seeking obsolescence. Yeah. If you are seeking to be trendy, you are also seeking to be obsolete a month from now, a year from now, two years from now. At some point, that trendy thing that you bought is going to be junk in the not-too-distant future.
1: That's so fascinating, man. It's fascinating that because it's such a narrow... It's such, it's such a narrow... It's such a narrow window that, like, you know, we want to be hip to that thing that isn't going to last very long because it is, it's a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not a passive thing. Uh, but it's an, it's an expiring thing that, you know, if we're, if we're hip to it during the time that it's cool, then we're cool.
0: Yeah. It's in vogue. And therefore it says something about who I am. Yeah. It goes back to that Ram Dass quote. We become encrusted with our identities or by our identities. Mm -hmm. We think we are this type of person. I'm the type of person who wears Mm tie-dye. I'm the type of person who looks stylish. I'm the type of person who would dress this particular way. And there's nothing wrong with looking simple and classy. Mm -mm. There's nothing wrong with wearing something That makes you feel like the best version of yourself. Mm -hmm. But if you're tapping into everyone else's best version of yourself, are you really you, or are you some version of what everyone else wants you to be? Right. Let's get a number, Danny. Unknown. You don't have a microphone. You have to yell it. All right, number twenty, because he's twenty years old. Just (laughs) turns (laughs) twenty. (laughs) <laughs> all right, let's see here. Filling your new apartment with all the pretty things from Target, you could fill in the store there, too. It could mm-hmm. be Ikea. Mm-hmm. It could be West Elm, CB2, Crate and Barrel, uh, Design Within Reach, wherever. Mm-hmm. Nothing wrong with those places. No. But filling your new apartment with all the pretty things from one of those stores doesn't give you worth or your life meaning. hmm We try to buy these things as a proxy for meaning Mm -hmm. because, I mean, let's face it, Ryan, you and I went up to the stall house a few years ago before the pandemic, and it's stunning, and it's outfitted by design within reach. Now, design within reach is sort of a a mid-level in terms of their pricing. Mm -hmm. It's not cheap like Ikea. It's also not cheaply made like Ikea Mm -hmm. or Target Mm -hmm. or Walmart stuff. Right. But it's not real, real high-end. It's not one of those places you go to on Melrose or uh, R- Melrose Place or Robertson Boulevard. Right. It's not one of those places
1: where you're going to spend $30,000 on a couch. Right. I was going to say, it's not $200 for a couch, and it's not $30,000 for a couch. It's <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. And we went to the stall house, and
0: it did have a particular vibe. It felt yeah. calm. Mm-hmm. It felt completed. But the mistake we make is, now, I assume that's going to make me complete. Mm. Yes, you can have a completed house in the sense that everything in there has a place and it's calming and the aesthetic is pleasing. Mm-hmm. But you can be in the calmest environment and feel chaotic inside. Yeah. Now, often our external envir- environment mimics what's going on inside us. Mm-hmm. And so if I have a lot of external chaos, it's because I have a lot of internal chaos. And if I have a calm space, it doesn't make me calm, Mm-mm. but it does set up the environment for the calm to arise within me. Yeah. Yeah. Alabama, what do you got for us? Pick a number between one and a hundred. These are the 100 things I'd say to my 18 year old self about minimalism from Joshua Becker.
2: Let's hear number 53. 53. The year of my first car.
1: <laughs> huh. wow wow yeah, yeah. minimalist stuff. <laughs> here we go
0: your stuff does not increase your quality of life mm. Ooh. now do we disagree with this mm. let's say this your stuff may increase the comfort in your life yes but by increasing the comfort, you may actually decrease your quality
1: of life. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I, I, it's funny because I agree and disagree with this statement. <laughs> I mean, it's like a bed is going to increase your comfort, mm-hmm. which may increase your sleep, give you better quality of sleep, which could potentially give you better quality of life. Um, yeah, it's interesting. But I also understand that our stuff does not define us. Our stuff does, we could own the Peloton, but if we don't use it, then it doesn't do anything for our life. That's right. If anything, it's weighing us down. I just sold mine. Nice.
0: Yeah. Yeah, because here's the thing. I got immense value from it for a while. Mm-hmm. In fact, I was doing it every day, literally. Yeah. And I had one of the streaks going, Yeah, it, it tracks your streaks. Yeah. And then I realized I was also becoming a slave to the streaks. mm I learned this from our friend Erwin McManus. He had this app that you know, for the work daily workout or whatever it was, and he realized that he was sort of just going through the motions. Mm-hmm. He had lost his why because he was still so focused on the what. Oh, mm. I'm supposed to do this. And I realized I wasn't really enjoying the Peloton. Mm. And I was continuing to do it, but I was beginning to slog through it. Mm. And I there are other ways. I still exercise every day.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I walk a lot. Yeah, somewhere between six to 10 miles. I try to get around eight, but I'm not even a slave to that. It's not that I have to get an X number of steps or X number of miles. And then I do regular body weight exercise. Those those are the ones that I enjoy. I'll do a, a few weighted things a few times a week. And I'm no longer a slave to the the streak, to mm. the needing to keep it up. And it's in a way, it's similar to the magazine collection, right? Mm, yeah. I was collecting workouts Mm -hmm. i get this badge now for 75 consecutive weeks Mm -hmm. but what does that do for me what does it say about who i am as a person does that make me fitter does it make me better
1: no No. but it really helps with
0: the ocd or or it hurts the ocd (laughs) or it hurts the ocd yeah because what here's what happens now oh crap we're going out on tour for eight days Uh
1: oh (gasps) you got to get on the app on the Peloton app and do some workouts. Dude, you have to game the system, basically. Yeah. Well, they have... When you gamify something, you are... Um, yeah, you're... I don't know. You're creating a competition. And when we win at competitions, you know, we get that little burst of dopamine. Can I get some more of that too, please? We get a little burst of dopamine. We won! Yay! Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And so, uh, Well, I'm not completely against competition. I am against... Um, for me, I'm against unnecessary competition. Mm-hmm. We've talked about competition being a mental illness on this podcast, and that's not me saying that. Um, there was a American Indian who told me this when I was doing a sauna with him in mm-hmm. Montana, mm-hmm. and he said, "Yeah, I, about the you Americans are so like competitive, and but we see competition as a mental illness because yeah. if someone else in my tribe, it was a Blackfoot tribe, someone else. If another Blackfoot loses, then I lose. Mm-hmm. If another Blackfoot wins, I win. Mm-hmm. And I thought, what a beautiful way to, to look at life. Because right now, we're often looking at if I win, someone else, by definition, has to lose. But if we can all win, that's the thing I like about this team that we have here. We are winning together right Mm -hmm. but we're not beating anyone else right it's not about oh we have to have the number one podcast in this time frame and slot whatever it is Mm -hmm. we must increase our metrics and the hours spent viewing no we're winning in a different way yeah we're helping people heal their relationship with stuff yeah all right i'm going to pick one more 83 that's that's this is my my guess here. The year you were born. No, I was not born in 83. <laughs> I was two. That's the year I got my first job. Oh, okay. <laughs> Actually, I was three when I got my first job. Yeah, that's a good story. Yeah, that's in uh, Love People Use Things. Yeah. I was almost four, though, to be fair. So the year had to be... I was four. That was 85 when I got my first job. Okay. I negotiated the salary and everything. You have to read that in Love People Use Things. Yeah. It's a true story. Yeah. All right, 83. Don't buy that $40,000 truck. Please don't. That seems very personal to Joshua. Becker there. <laughs> Although I do remember, I saved up one summer to try and buy a car, and I I spent all my money on a Buick Regal and the sound system, and then I had the Chevy Caprice with the gold Dayton. Dude, that was awesome. You were um, the coolest. You don't know nothing about Dayton's, Danny.
1: Yeah, no, he doesn't. I mean, Dude, you were the coolest. <laughs> you were the coolest eighteen-year-old. <laughs> in 1999, <laughs> yeah. So avoid that forty thousand dollar truck. And less- there's nothing, but there's nothing wrong with a forty thousand dollar truck if you can afford it. Yeah, I mean the the problem is, yes, when you are when you're a slave to that forty thousand dollar debt payment, like that's where maybe Becker is coming from. But you know, even Dave Ramsey will tell you, like, hey, look, when you buy a brand new car, it's it's not an investment. No, it's, it is a it's a waste of money. That said. If you have zero debt and you can and you have your uh, emergency fund fully funded and you've got the money saved up to buy a new car, then go ahead and do it. No, that's not going to be an asset for you. But um, if you're going to do it, here's how to do it responsibly. I think that's a great point, Ryan. Because what you're really
0: saying here is, if you have to finance a car, you can't afford it. Yeah. If you don't have enough money in the bank to buy that car, mm-hmm. you can't afford it. You could TikTok that, Danny. All right, what do we got here, Ryan? We got some surprise questions. We'll put a link to that article in the show notes if you want to read all 100 things that Joshua Becker would say to his 18-year-old self about minimalism. Alabama. let's dive into some of these questions here. Briselda has a question for us.
2: My kid is the kind that dumps bins to find what he wants at playtime. Any simple tips on the best practical way to store and organize toys?
1: How do you organize your toys, Josh?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Good guys and bad guys.
1: Uh,
0: Yes. Oh, that's a line from I love people use things as well. So I had OCD as a kid and there was a whole lot of chaos in our homes. And quite often we try to organize our lives because we're trying to organize this internal chaos. Yeah. And how well does that work? If I have... 1,000 items, and I'm just putting them in a bunch of clutter coffins, a bunch of bins, and storing them in my little tiny mausoleums. Mm. Now I've got just a bunch of dead, useless, wasteful things that are mm. getting in the way. Mm. It's organizing the chaos, but organized chaos is still chaos. Yeah. And so when I was a kid, and we had a lot of chaos because my mother was an alcoholic, there was drug and alcohol abuse in the home, there was some physical abuse when I was really young. Uh, My my father, specifically, abusing my mother. Mm. My first memory as a child is of my father abusing my mother. And so the only way that I had control was what I ate and also how I tidied up my toys. And so I had some G.I. Joe figurines, and I had three little bins. And I would put the weapons in one bin, the good guys in one bin, and the bad guys in another bin. Here's a metaphor for you. Occasionally, some of the good guys and bad guys would switch sides. (laughs) That's good. And that was the first time I really understood that, hey, maybe there's more nuance to good and bad Mm -hmm. and not everyone bad is good and not everyone good is bad because these are constructs. Now, I wouldn't have had that vocabulary when I was a very young kid. But Ryan, tell me about the stats for children Oh, and because kids have a lot of toys.
1: Yeah. So um, American children make up less than 3% of the world's children. They consume about 40% of the world's toys, though. So the average child in America has uh, nearly 300 toys. But here's the kicker. They play with only about 12 of them each day. So to answer this question head on, I would say the fewer toys your child has the less you have to worry about organizing them. Mm-hmm. And since they play with only about 12 a day anyway, they don't need 300 toys. Right. And so this is ultimately a conversation about boundaries,
0: mm-hmm. right? First thing I would do if I'm Briselda is I would go download the free minimalist rule book, 16 Rules for Living with Less, yeah. minimalists.com slash rulebook. Mm-hmm. Jordan, if, for the video version, you can put that up on the screen, I'm sure. But we have... That Those rules to help you set up some boundaries for you and your family. They're not actual rules. Now, why is this important? Because we're not saying bah humbug. Zero toys is the best number of toys. Mm -hmm. No, what we're saying is if your child has 300 toys or 3,000 toys, it's actually going to get in the way of quality Mm playtime. And having a dozen toys or a few dozen toys that are in a bin are so much better than having a dozen bins. Mm-hmm. Because... What you're doing there is you're organizing the chaos, Mm -hmm. but having just one bin with useful toys that fit within any of those rules you want to pick up. Maybe it's the seasonality rule. Have I used this toy in the last 90 days? Will I use it in the next 90 days? Mm -hmm. Maybe it's the spontaneous combustion rule. Maybe it's the just-in-case rule. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's the emergency item rule, although I can't think of any toys that might be an emergency (laughs) item. Who knows? But if you have a bin, this is what we do with Ella, She likes to dump out her bin as well. Mm -hmm. But whenever we set the stage at the end of the night, we talked about that earlier in this Maximal episode. Mm -hmm. At the end of each night, we set the stage or we shake the house. Everything goes back into that bin. And if it doesn't fit in the bin, then we have to let go of the excess toys.
1: Dude, it makes me think about... I had a friend. uh, It was... Well, they were... It was two brothers. They're parents would try to get them to set the stage every night whether it was with their clothes or with their toys and it got to a point where they're i'm not saying to do this but it was just extreme their parents were like okay anything that's left out i'm throwing away i'm donating (laughs) so like you know they yeah they would literally gather up whatever was left over go donate (laughs) to the donation store i'm not saying to do that with your kid but um that's like yeah super extreme uh, I, yeah, I, Ella, um, she doesn't even have that many toys to dump out though. I mean, so like that's, um, just going back to the less toys you have, the less you have to clean up. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, have seen Ella's toys and sh- yeah, she, uh, it's a pretty easy cleanup for her.
0: And she also realizes that when she stops playing with toys, mm-hmm. other kids might enjoy them. And that actually brings her joy yeah. to donate those toys, That once upon a time, she liked, Mm -hmm. but then she stopped getting value from it. Maybe it's just that her other friends don't like them now, or it's run its course. She's
1: no longer interested in it. It doesn't mean someone else won't be interested in the future. And by the way, I've never heard of Ella complaining about not having enough toys. Like, she's a very happy child. Yeah. 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 Kids rarely complain about the number of toys that they have. Well, I think about when I was a kid, complaining about the toys I didn't have. There was, it was something deeper going on inside of me. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, there was a a lack, a lack. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And we can get into my childhood stuff, but we've already done that in our book. Love people use things. (laughs) We have a surprise question here from Margaret.
2: Just like how we match purses to our outfits. Now people are switching out their perfectly functional containers for storage that looks more trendy. Have storage containers become a fashion statement?
1: My goodness, sounds mm-hmm. like something uh that the Marie Kondo store has um implemented.
0: Yeah, the uh, container store. I like it. You're calling it the Marie Kondo <laughs> store. That's,
1: that's perfect. But don't they have that? Doesn't she have the yes. store though with the container? The containers. It's then, the container oh, store. She she has oh, a, a, a legit a deal the container store. Yeah, she has a deal uh, with the container store. I didn't realize that. Okay. Yeah,
0: and it's become really trendy, and it's become part of the problem. It's not that the KonMari method is part of the problem. It's not. She she's a minimalist. You go to her house, you don't see a ton of storage containers all over the place. Right. You you will see it though at you, I've walked past the container stores right down the street from here Mm -hmm. all the time. And you see it up in the windows where we're encouraging people to organize their lives. Yeah. But what you're really doing when you're simply organizing your life is you're creating disorganization disorder in your life because you're hiding the clutter you're hiding the problem Mm -hmm. you're not dealing with it you're dealing with a symptom it's simply covering up the symptom it's like putting a band-aid on an axe wound we're gonna bleed out with all of this excess stuff we have and buying a few little clutter coffins to make it look neat and trendy and stored we talked about this during the Minimal episode this week, but the problem isn't a storage container. If you need a storage container to store some things you're going to use, great. Yeah. The problem is hiding all of those things that you no longer need because hiding them is hoarding. Yeah, yeah. If you're hiding stuff in organizing bins in your basement, and your attic, in your car, in your trunk, in your office, in a closet, you're simply hiding the horde and you're going to have to deal with it so i'd rather deal with it today kill godzilla when Godzilla's a baby mm-hmm. as tony robbins
1: says don't wait till godzilla is taking over the city yeah i think about the bench we have like that's a beautiful bench yes you could open it up and put some things in there but the things that we put in there are things that we use it's it's not things that yeah we're trying to hide that's a great point. So we have a bench here,
0: and anyone who works here instead of just stacking our book bags along and, and briefcases along the wall, <laughs> wait a minute, who here's bringing a briefcase? Definitely podcast Sean <laughs> 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 we We store all of that in the bench, but then guess yeah. what? As soon as we leave, that bench is completely empty. right It is not a storage container for long-term storage right it has a purpose right now so if you're storing things with a purpose great that reminds me of the i remember when we first moved to missoula we were looking for these different houses and there was this one that had all like the big selling point was all had all these every bedroom had like a big walk-in closet yeah and there was one that was like a giant closet that was about half the size of this room yeah and i was like oh so we have to pay for all the space we're not going to use. Right. And they yeah. were going to rent it right away because, oh, wow, look at all this great storage. Right. And for us, it was like, oh, no, look at all of this terrible storage. Look
1: at all this wasted space. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: This is simply wasted space and not in a, a beautiful way, right? Because you can go to a museum and they they use the space. Right. Add to the beauty. But this was like, oh no, here's just a closet. Here's another closet. Here's a bigger closet. Here's a walk in closet. Mm -hmm. Here's a coat closet. Here's a linens closet. Here's a towel closet. Why do we need all of these closets when I'm not going to own all the things that I would need to store in there in the first place?
1: You should be a realtor. Instead of like, you know, five bedrooms, three bathrooms, it would be five storage closets, (laughs) three bathrooms. It's funny you say that. I saw this uh, video on YouTube
0: recently. It was the smallest apartment I'm sorry, the narrowest apartment in New York City. 75 and a half Bedford Avenue. I'm sure it's going around. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. Podcast Sean can find it. He can find anything. He has Google. (laughs) And uh, anyway, the the guy was, uh, by the way, they were selling it for $5 million. Why? I don't know. It's 999 square feet, so it's not like super tiny but it's three bedrooms now it's only eight and a half feet wide so I I could lay on the floor and touch both walls wow and the bedroom it all looked like one giant hole like three stories of hallway basically Yeah. now to their credit they use the space relatively efficiently Mm -hmm. now a I wouldn't want to live there just because it felt kind of crammed I feel claustrophobic just thinking about it that's a great point Yeah. yeah And, and so, and it's $5 million and I get location. I also, and, and there are some famous people who have lived there. And I think that, that aided the price hike, mm. but um, man, I would have no desire to live there. Like, even mm. if it was $500,000 or mm. gee, whatever, $200,000, but at $5 million, someone's going to buy that narrow. And I looked at the bedrooms and, how do you even get a bed like one of them had a murphy bed which makes sense in a place like that but the other two didn't the other two bedrooms i you couldn't fit a bed in there like you have a king size bed you definitely aren't fitting a king size bed in there yeah wow
1: wow that's that's
0: crazy it's fascinating to watch but there's and i well i can be a well i can certainly appreciate that it's not how i would want to live and yet one of the selling features of the place was how much storage it had in its walls. It's like, okay, here we go again. Even, even the tiny apartments have to have all this storage yeah. in order to placate our hoarding.
1: Yeah, like it's the, mo- the narrowest apartment. But don't worry, there's plenty of storage. Yeah. <sighs> Patrons. Yeah.
0: Thank you so much for being here today. Heck yeah.
1: Y'all are awesome.
0: Big thanks to Podcast Sean, Jordan No More, Danny Unknown, Malabama, Jess, Social Jess, Emma the Immigrant, and the rest of our team. Love people. Use things. Because the opposite never works. Thanks for listening,
1: y'all. We'll see you next time. Every little thing